Welcome back to From the Front Row, brought to you by the University of Iowa College of Public Health. I'm Oge Chigo. And I'm Ian Bukta. If this is your first time with us, we're a student-run podcast that broaches major public health issues. Oge, what do we have in store today? Well, we hit a bit of a production hiccup on this week's episode, so we're going to be re-releasing one of our previous episodes. This is a great episode that's a bit old, so it's probably going to be new to a lot of you if you haven't gone back into our archive. Yeah, so this is a conversation between Haley Boudreau and one of the University of Iowa College of Public Health's alumni award winners, Dr. Chris Brish. The, the conversation is about emergency medicine, opioids, international and rural health, and we thought it was interesting. So we figured everyone would need a break from the COVID-19 coverage. So this is our choice for that. And, and we think it's a, both a good conversation about public health and just something a little different. All right, here's the tape. In this episode, we are going to be interviewing the first of our two outstanding alumni award recipients, Dr. Chris Brish. On a future episode, you will hear the other winner, Dr. Paul Pomran, talk about his experiences. But for this one, Dr. Chris Brish talked to us. Dr. Burish is a professor of emergency medicine at the Carver College of Medicine and received his MPH from the University of Iowa College of Public Health and his MD from the Carver College of Medicine. He has worked in Haiti to address access to care needs and to help establish a global emergency medicine training fellowship, which is a year-long research fellowship for emergency physicians interested in global health. While training medical students, Dr. Burish has pushed for a populational and public health focus as well. He brought with him to this interview an interesting discussion of the crossroads of global public health, emergency medicine, and access to care. Producer Haley Boudreau sat down with him over the phone and did that thing podcasters do to start an interview, namely asking him to state his name and his job title. I'm Chris Burish. I'm a clinical professor of emergency medicine at the University of Iowa. Yeah, and I also um, work with residency program there, and I co-direct one of the courses for the first-year medical students. And you received your MD, I believe, from the University of Iowa as well. And then a number of years ago, you returned back to the College of Public Health to receive your MPH. What kind of led to that decision? Yeah, so... I had been doing some international work, and I realized that that so much of what we were doing in a clinical sense was really kind of picking up the pieces when there wasn't a a public health system around. So much of the, the disease and the disability we were seeing was from lack of clean drinking water or lack of sanitation or lack of just sort of knowledge about you know, how to take care of yourself, you know, proper diet and things like that. I think also kind of during that period, I had seen presentation that talked about the role of public health and the role that, that both clinical medicine played in the health of a population and the role that public health played in the health of a population. And I was really shocked and a little upset, honestly, to see that, that really access to good medical care only accounts for about 10% of the health of a population. And I thought, man, that's, that's not much, you know, and I'd, I'd really like to be able to, you know, have more of an impact than that. So, and, and, and just, I think also in the clinic, understanding that people we were seeing in Haiti, but also in the emergency department, you know, it's so much better to keep them from getting sick in the first place than to try and treat them once they're sick, you know, because once they're already injured or once they're already sick, 
you know, they miss work and they, you know, it has massive impacts on their lives and the lives of their families. Whereas if you can prevent that illness or that injury to begin with, obviously that's so much better. And so, and I just realized I didn't have the the language to talk about that or the framework to help make those thoughts sort of fit together with my worldview or really the, the skills to, to apply it. And so I, I really felt like, you know, an education in public health was important. And you, you mentioned Haiti and you've mentioned your work here at the University of Iowa in the emergency department. Can you tell me a little bit more about working in both of these places and anywhere else that you've worked before? Sure. So, you know, in the emergency department, we take care of, you know, kind of the sickest of the sick in Iowa and northern Missouri and western Illinois. And that's really fun because you never know what's going to come through the door. And it can be, you know, a traumatic injury. It can be, you know, heart attacks or strokes. But really, almost everybody that ends up in front of me, you know, has some kind of preventable aspect to the reason they're visiting. Right. You know, whether it was you know, gosh, if you would have been wearing a seatbelt or gee, if you hadn't left your gun laying around with ammunition in it or been cleaning it with ammunition in it, this wouldn't happen. Or, you know, if you would have been able to see your doctor and take your medicine, so many different things that, that eventually lead people down the path to the emergency department. And, and there's so many steps along that path where an intervention could have been made. It's really, I mean, it's just, it's fascinating and interesting. And, and it, again, it's just tons of variety. And I think it's challenging sort of emotionally, it's challenging intellectually, it's challenging physically. And so I really enjoy it. And then to, on top of that, to have the opportunity to teach and to bring this kind of public health skill set to bear and, and hopefully for people that are learning emergency medicine, integrate some of these ideas into their training is really a unique position to be in, right? It's a, just a, it's a really cool opportunity to have. So I feel very, very lucky to be able to do that. You know, with Haiti stuff, I've been working in Haiti since about 2003. I started doing international stuff uh, in 1997 in India, which was my first exposure really to a developing economy. and really set my head spinning for a long time, you know, and trying to sort of make sense of the ideas of privilege and what I call it now would be a sort of vulnerability and the ways that, that where you're born sort of set the trajectory for your life, right? Regardless of your abilities or your work ethic, so much of your life is determined by your environment. And that's something that I think I've always I've wrestled with ever since, you know, and, and, and so I feel like doing international work in these developing economies, in these developing, you know, environments is a way of, you know, of, of doing my part, I guess. You know, I think people often talk about it like it's charitable work or you must be some kind of saint to do this, but I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't feel that way. I feel like it's just a matter of justice, right? Like it's just trying to balance the scales a little bit. Yeah, so I've been really fortunate to do some work in, in India and then the Dominican Republic, Peru, and then I sort of landed in Haiti by accident. And, you know, it, it's, it's just this amazing place full of incredible people. And, you know, I really, really, I, I don't know, made some kind of connection there that, and, and so like, since 2003, I don't think there's been a day that's gone by that I haven't thought of Haiti. And so, yeah, and, and again, you know, it really inspired me to kind of further my education and broaden my skill set and to learn about things that I think are helpful and that can really have an impact on people's lives. And so, yeah, I've been, I've been really lucky to kind of work all over the place. 
And then also, you know, I've, I've done some work a little closer to home with the Iowa Harm Reduction Coalition, which is an amazing organization in Iowa City that probably has saved more lives in the last two years than I've saved over the course of my career, you know, that really is all about the, the idea of meeting people where they're at and, and understanding people's environments and circumstances and the way that affects their choices. So it's been, you know, it's really been great to have these kind of opportunities uh, throughout the course of my career. So, I mean, you touched on a lot and I just want to have you expand a little bit more. So first, where are you living now? What are you doing? I know you're traveling a little bit. This is a Zoom conversation. So why don't you tell me a little bit about that? Sure. Well, <laughs> you know, I, I feel like I've been really lucky to, to have the career that I have and then to really, I guess, push that luck. We've taken a, a leave of absence for a year with my family, my wife and I, and our kids to really just to spend more time together because I, I feel like we haven't had much balance in the way we've allocated our time as, as we probably should. And so as part of that, right now we're in Rome, but we're on our way to England and I'm going to go to the London School of Tropical Medicine and Hygiene for a semester to learn about tropical medicine, which I hope will help you know, our work in Haiti and, and elsewhere. Uh, and then hopefully, again, I'll be able to bring some of that back to the university and apply that you know, with return travelers in the emergency department, but also with some of our wilderness medicine stuff um, and other, you know, kind of other efforts that we're, we're undertaking. We also have in the Iowa City area, we're really, really fortunate that it's become so much more diverse in the last decade or so. And so we are starting to see uh, a lot of diseases now that we never even learned about in medical school because they were thought to be these kind of orphan diseases or, you know, stuff that would never show up in Iowa City. And so yeah, gosh, in the last year, I've seen all kinds of stuff that I never would have thought would have come across our threshold in Iowa City. So uh, it'll be a great opportunity to learn more about that as well. And yeah, I'm just, I'm really, really excited. It's going to be fun to, you know, do some, some real learning again. So it sounds like you're a lifelong student. You know, you attend a lot of conferences. You're obviously going back to school now. You return to school for your MPH. Um, and you talked a little bit about this, but what drives you to continue your education? I mean, I, you know, it's, it's funny because as we've been traveling, there's, there's always kind of things that pop up that you want to understand. And I think just to me, it's important as I'm sort of navigating my world to understand why things are the way they are. And so I don't know, I mean, I don't know if that's like some sort of OCD thing, or I think it's more just, I'm just really curious about why things are the way they are and how they work. And I think, you know, again, part of that is acknowledging that as you understand more about the way things work, or as you learn more about the way things work, really the less you kind of understand, you know? And so I feel like the more I learn, the less I know, which I know is super cliched, but, but really true. And, um, and then sometimes once you do start to understand stuff, it just doesn't, it doesn't seem right. Again, that's why I feel like it's really important to work with marginalized populations and to do things, do what you can to, to help level the playing field because, I mean, once you kind of understand how things work, I, I think sometimes you, it leaves you with a really bad feeling. You know, you can feel really ambivalent about the way things are set up. At least, I guess, if you feel the same way I do about things. Yeah. And so it, it, learning that kind of stuff really just inspires you to want to learn and understand more so that you can figure out if there's some levers you can pull or if there's ways that you can be useful. 
Yeah. And so again, you know, being at a university does nothing but sort of feed that, right? It does nothing but really sort of encourage you to ask more questions and and try and find more answers and, you know, just seek out all the, the brilliant people you're surrounded with to help make sense of the way things work. So I kind of want to return back to your time here in Iowa. So how has your public health training and your continuing education benefited you as a physician and treating patients in the emergency department? You talked a little bit about how Iowa City is becoming more diverse. So how has your training kind of advanced you in a career and, and really helped treat the patients best to your ability? So I don't want to sound too controversial, but I, I feel like traditional medical training is a little bit myopic, right? It's a little short-sighted. You learn so much stuff that's really important and it's overwhelming, honestly, when you learn, you know, the biochemistry and genetics and cellular biology and pharmacology and anatomy and physiology and pathology and all this stuff, right? And, and you learn to kind of put that all together to make sense of the patient in front of you. But the focus really is on the patient in front of you. And it's not until recently that I think medical education has started to incorporate the more macro perspective, right? The, the more, you know, to, to start thinking more about the social and economic determinants of health and disease. And I'm really proud actually of the Carver College of Medicine that, you know, for, for really leading the charge in that, I think, and, and being one of the first places to revamp their curriculum to incorporate that. But I, I feel like, you know, I just don't feel like you can do a great job as a physician taking care of the patient in front of you unless you have a better understanding of their context and the things that brought them to you in the first place. And I don't think you can come up with, say, a treatment plan for whatever their problem is without understanding all the barriers that they're going to face to implementing that plan. And so I think, you know, I think from a bedside clinician standpoint, I think it's a really indispensable point of view that I think that I really hope will more and more become incorporated into the standard medical education. I think that having this sort of public health perspective has really helped me also be able to kind of pull the pull all the different threads together when you start seeing different patients with different processes together and understanding the commonalities and the links between them and then really advocating for change on an institutional level, you know, just within our hospital or, you know, on a broader level. And, you know, living in Iowa is, is amazing because you can drive to Des Moines while the legislature is in session and just start talking to the lawmakers. And it's, it's I mean, it's amazing that they're, they're always happy to give you their time and, and listen to your thoughts. And, and I think that having that background allows you to sort of intelligently educate the people that make the rules, right? And that set up the systems that either work or don't work for marginalized people that uh, we care for. And being in the emergency department, in some ways, it's almost like you see every time the public health system has failed, they end up in the emergency department. But on the other hand, you really get to be the safety net for the population. You get to take care of people that no matter what's going on in their lives, no matter what the problem is, no matter if they have nowhere else to go, they can always come to, to you. And, and you take care of them. You take care of the person that slept under the bridge the same way that you take care of the CEO of the hospital. And so it's a really 
Having the, the public health perspective and that education combined with occupying that position within the establishment, within the House of Medicine, I think is a really powerful synergy that, that without that education and that perspective, I just don't think I'd be able to really take advantage of or, or even understand very well. And so I'm, I'm really grateful for that. And we've talked a lot about the number of places that you've lived, you know, different cities, different countries, and you talked a little bit about how location kind of determines your health outcomes. So can you talk a little bit about how place matters in the work that you do? Yeah, I mean, in lots of different ways, really. I think the, the easiest way to sort of point that out would be, you know, geography and your proximity to, to health care can be really important, right, in the acute setting. So if you're having a stroke or a heart attack, or if you're traumatically injured, if you have one of these conditions that is really time sensitive, then obviously the further you are away from a medical facility, the worse your outcomes are going to be. So we see that our, our department's doing all kinds of research with stroke and tele-stroke tele care. There's been some interest in looking into that with overdoses in, and sort of tele telehealth with respect to drug user health. And there's some really, the, the Iowa Harm Reduction Coalition has a great hotline set up that's super helpful in that regard. And so, you know, geography in the acute setting obviously is super important. But I think also, man, in so many different ways, you know, if you live in a place where you have to drive everywhere you go, where it's four or five miles to the grocery store or to, to get good healthy food, right? If you live in a food desert, obviously, you are going to get not much exercise if you, if you drive, if you get in the car and drive every time you have to just go down the street. Whereas if you live in a city that's designed to be walkable, like most of Europe, actually, you walk miles a day just doing things that just you pick up some food here and then you go over here to get some fruit and then you go get some bread and, and you, you, know, you get lots of exercise. You get a lot of time outside exposed to good, clean, healthy air. But you have to live in a place where air quality is, you know, where they pay attention to that and monitor that. I think uh, another way that location matters is really your community and how integrated you are in your community. So if you live in a community where you uh, have a lot of social support, we have a lot of friends and family, and there's some sort of crisis, then people come together to help you out. You know, in Iowa, that usually takes the form of casseroles. You know, people bring over food and make sure that you're well fed. But also it's taking care of your pets or, you know, helping you with bills in the short term or looking after your parents or your kids or driving people around for you while you're dealing with your crisis. I mean, that's a, that's a huge, huge benefit that I think people often overlook. Whereas if you are not integrated into your community, if you're new in town or you just don't have any friends or you just live in a community that, that is really isolated uh, and you have a crisis, you're kind of on your own. There's nobody to help you out. That, that kind of stuff really matters as well. So, I mean, I think you could talk about importance of geography because of climactic things like like air quality because of social things i think you know, the other thing that i think is really important is kind of social expectations right if you grow up in a community where people don't finish high school then if you don't finish high school there's you know that's just the way it is and you're just doing what everybody else does whereas if you live in a community where the expectation is that you go on to higher education then you're going to meet that expectation right i mean people tend to to work and to achieve at the level that they're expected to. And so all these different things, I think, have impacts that seem really subtle, but I, but I think when you're exposed to these things, you know, whether it's walking a lot or lots of social support, 
low expectations or terrible air quality or not getting enough sleep, chronic stress. You know, if you're, there's shootings in your neighborhood and you, every time you think you go outside, you're not sure if you're going to get hit with a bullet. All of these things, when you add them up day after day after day after day, have a tremendous impact, even though they seem really subtle. Just like if you have an extra cheeseburger every day or drink an extra two or three beers a day, right? That's going to have an impact on your health. And so I think in a lot of ways, clinical medicine and public health, at least in that respect, are very much the same. And so, yeah. You know, you're obviously very accomplished and you've done a lot in your short time since you graduated medical school and then even since you've gotten your MPH and you've worked on a lot of teams. So can you talk to me about how important it is to have an interdisciplinary team and why does it make accomplishments even that much better? And if you have any advice as well. I would say that interdisciplinary teams make everything possible. If I've accomplished anything, it's only because I've had some amazing people helping me out. And, and I think, you know, one of the things I, I love about international work and working in the emergency department is that you really, you can't do it without a whole bunch of people kind of, you know, working with you. And so, you know, in the emergency department, man, we couldn't, we couldn't take care of anybody if we didn't have fantastic nurses if we didn't have nursing assistants that are always ready to answer somebody's call light, if we didn't have somebody kind of running the phones that ring nonstop, if we didn't have somebody that was great at running blood work up to the lab, and if we didn't have social workers who help find people places to go after they're discharged to make sure there's somebody to let their cat out or, you know, track down relatives of someone who can't talk to you. You know, it's, I mean, it it takes a mind boggling number of people. You know, there's people that have to restock all the stuff that we use. There's people that have to clean up all the mess that we make. I mean, it takes hundreds of people to do that right. And I would say that, that international work and international public health is the same way. We've been able to do some really great stuff with improving water quality and decreasing neonatal mortality and, you know, starting a recycling program and, and just really decreasing mortality overall. But it's only because we have some amazing Haitian partners to work with. We have some brilliant Haitian physicians, some super talented nurses. We have community health workers that we've been able to train and who have the the trust and respect of the communities that they live in. We have people that, you know, monitor the water quality and help people troubleshoot when their water isn't, you know, is, is not meeting quality standards. And so again, it takes, it literally takes hundreds of people to, to do that with all different skill sets. And that's, you know, that's the great thing about it is that you you know, and, and to design all these programs, we need people that have a background in public health to figure out what needs to be done. We need epidemiologists and statisticians and to, to make sure that what we're doing is actually working, right? I mean, it always feels good. It always feels like you're doing something, but, but to actually prove to yourself and to the communities that are trusting you to help them, you know, I think you owe that to them. And so you need people with tremendous variety of expertise to do it. And it's just so gratifying to see People come together from all these different you know, walks of life and all these different educational backgrounds and all these different perspectives and to, to create something together out of that that everybody's had a hand in and contributed to is it's really a great feeling. You know, it's, it made, it's like one of the best feelings. And So I have one last question for you. What is one thing that you thought you knew but later realized you were wrong about? Oh boy. 
there's so many different things I think I could talk about. I think I'm constantly learning how wrong I am about things. But I think that the thing that probably sticks out the most is, is really that, that you can never pass up an opportunity to learn something. I remember when I was in medical school, I, I was going into pediatrics. And so I did my, my first residency in pediatrics before going back to emergency medicine. And I knew I was going into pediatrics while I was in my fourth year of medical school. And I had to do my orthopedic rotation, which is just, you know, broken, some broken bones, but it's mostly kind of hip replacements and knee replacements. I thought, man, there's hardly any kids in the world that have hip replacements and knee replacements. I can pretty much blow this one off. And I just didn't pay much attention to my orthopedic rotation. (laughs) And so I feel like I'm kind of airing some dirty laundry here, but you know, and then sure enough, a couple years down the road, not only am I doing emergency medicine, but I'm doing this international work. You got to take care of people that have all kinds of broken bones and you have to know how to, how to do that. And it was really humbling to think back and think, man, I had the opportunity to learn this from really some of the world's experts and I blew it off. I can't tell you how often I've thought of that and wished I could go back and do a better job of paying attention. I mean, fortunately, I work with all these people now and they've been able to, you know, I've, I've had a little bit of redemption, but, but it was a really great example to me and something I remember all the time now about how you really can never pass up an opportunity to learn something because you just never know where you're going to end up. I never thought that I would be doing this kind of work, honestly. And so I think anytime you get the chance to learn something, even if it's not something that sounds terribly interesting at the time, or it's not a skill that you think you're going to really need, you never know when it's going to come in handy. And so that's, I think, the thing I think about often. That was quite an interview. Dr. Burrish made a lot of insightful points, but as a student, his answer to the last question really resonated for me. I can totally identify with sitting in the classroom and wondering if you'll ever need some of the concepts that you learn, but it's good to know that paying attention will really pay off in the end. What did you think about Dr. Burrish's thoughts? You can share them with us on Facebook at the University of Iowa College of Public Health. We're on iTunes and Spotify as well as the University of Iowa College of Public Health. If you don't mind, please leave us a uh, rating and subscribe to our episodes as well. That will help new listeners find us. All right, we're out of here. This episode was hosted by Haley Boudreaux, Ian Bukta, and Oge Chibo. Editing by Ian Bukta. Our guest today was Dr. Chris Burrish. This podcast is brought to you by the University of Iowa College of Public Health. See you next week. Stay safe and happy social distancing. All right, here's the tape. 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 You know, okay, you do understand that after the music at the end of this episode, we're just going to hear you saying, all right, here's the tape like six times. (laughs) All right, here's the tape. Kevin. (laughs) Thank you, for real.